The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium size businesses and organizations to help design world-class strategic plans, but not only that, help them keep them accountable to actually get it done. We've also recently have put this process in together in a course, we call it the Captain Strategy course. We encourage you to go online to learn more at 40strategy.com. We like to, from time to time, do shout outs and the shout out goes to Chris Panayotu. He is the author of Capitalize Your Finances. He is also a Duck fan and, and we don't hold that against him. Good friend of the show. And we just, and he's been a previous guest on the show as well. We just appreciate his introduction to our current guest, who is Nicholas Hutchinson. Nick is the founder of Book Thinkers, a company dedicated to spreading the power of personal development books. And you can see like he has a lot of books behind him, have a lot of books behind me. We're going to probably talk about that quite a bit in depth because we both love the concept of learning and how to help make a difference in other people's lives. He's focused on developing insightful content and interviewing the world's top nonfiction authors for his, for his podcast. And, and his podcast called Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books. Well, with that, Nick, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Carl, thank you so much. There's nowhere that I'd rather be. I love having conversations about books and personal development topics, effective leadership, and everything in between. And and Nick, we've had some bonding time when we did previously as well. He's he lives in the Boston area, as where I originally was from. And of course, of course, we talked about some good Boston Red Sox talk as well as the New England Patriots. And you've had some really interesting experiences in your life because you you grew up, if you may, in that you've been connected with professional athletes. Some of them now are your clients. So let's be, I want to, we're going to touch on that in here in a moment, but tell us a little bit deeper about what you actually do. Tell us more about your business and, and, and how, how you make a difference in the world. Sure. So it, it starts back in 2016, 17, when I read a couple of good books that changed my life. And I started sharing the books that I was reading on social media. I had some business ideas around monetizing my love for books that didn't really work out. But what did happen was I started to develop an online presence in this personal development book space, specifically on Instagram. And so as my audience started to grow, Carl, authors would reach out and say, hey, Nick, your target audience, your audience is my target reader. How can I get the book in front of them? And so I started to do paid book reviews back then, 2018, 2019. And from there, we've built out a full service digital marketing agency that nonfiction authors can use to promote and market their books. So we do short form content creation where we'll 
help turn their books into social media content. We do podcast booking where we'll place authors on podcasts. We do book reviews, social media management, and a bunch of other stuff. And at the end of the day, they say your purpose comes from your pain. My pain was solved by books and I want to help other people do that same thing. So I love connecting the right person with the right book, giving them the tools to implement it effectively and create real change. And that's what my business does. It it tries to get people to read more good books. I love that. One of the things that many, many years ago, one of my, the very first thing, one of my first experiences with book learning, I didn't actually, wasn't much of a reader in my actually up through college, I'd say initially. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and eventually somebody, matter of fact, as a client, I was actually working as an internship at the University of Washington. And they gave me this 16 set cassette audio tape, audio tapes. Okay, this is a little old school here, right? Of the Zig Ziglar program. And I fell in love with it. It was just this amazing experience. I got to admit, a lot of my quote unquote reading is audiobooks. That's how I actually absorb information better personally. That's the way I, I learn better. And it changed my life. But one of the things he said in there is to be a great leader, this is Zig Ziglar, to be a great read, sorry, leader, you got to be a great reader. And I'm curious from your perspective, once again, of, of, of really well successful people you have, how much have you found that to be true in their lives? Well, I think it's very true. You know, if we look at the most successful people in society today from a financial perspective, we think of names like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. All of these people were voracious readers. They say that Warren read every book on investing in the Omaha Public Library by the time he was 11. Elon Musk, the, the bookshop owner where he grew up, used to have to shake him out of a daze because he was so tunnel focused on reading books. You know, I, I recently interviewed somebody that just spent some time with Elon and said when they walked in the room, it was full of books. And this was more recently. And I think all of these amazing business people and all of these leaders, they are readers and it's vice versa. I think reading helps you lead. I think leading also creates a desire to read more and learn more to serve the people around you. And so they're definitely tied together and correlated. When, when you're working with an author for the first time, and let's say it's their first book, and, and even their, let's say they're well-known, right? So you have one of your well-known guests, but they've never written a book before, right? And, and they're like, how do I actually get people to read this? Because I, I want you to share a little bit, because I know you know the statistics, I don't offhand. What are the real statistics when it comes to books being read? Like, you know, if somebody's publishing a book, how likely are, what percentage of the books are being sold actually out there in the market? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the data varies a little bit, but the average author, especially a self-published author, they'll never sell more than a couple hundred books. Sometimes that number is 250. Sometimes you read, especially amongst self-published authors, it's closer to 100. But the barrier to entry as far as publishing a book has gone down a lot over the last couple of years. And so a lot of people are putting out books, a lot of books, and they're not selling. So yeah, demand has probably stayed the same, but the supply has gone up a lot. And as a result, you kind of get that 80-20 split, although it's way more exaggerated. It's more like 99% of consumption comes from 1% of books. And so yeah, it's a tough market out there. You've really got to have a purpose behind your book. 
and it's a long-term play. You know, very rarely is it an overnight success. So that's a really good point, right? There's there's such a rush often to quote unquote be the bestseller, right? This initial bestseller, and there's a lot of strategies, and you you're familiar with them, right? To get to become a bestseller originally, but did it really stick? Right? Did the concept of that book was it something that somebody's going to take that book and refer it to somebody else? So, once again, with your experiences, what do you see? How, when does that happen? Where a book gets past that stage where it comes, if you may, a little bit contagious, right? Where people are like, well, I, you got to read this because of this and that. Yeah, it's a great question, Carl. I think that word of mouth contagion as it relates to books, it happens, it happens a couple of different ways. The first one that comes to mind is something changes in your environment or something changes visibly on you and people ask you about it and you say, oh, it's, it's from this book. And so an example might be, you know, I carry around a one gallon water bottle. Okay. Why do I carry around this one gallon water bottle? Well, in a book called own the day, own your life by Aubrey Marcus, I learned about the importance of being properly hydrated. And so I'm referencing that book. Every time somebody asks me about my water bottle, that's one example. Another example. I mean, I've talked about this book, hundred million dollar offers by Alex Hormozzi till my face turns blue recently because it's had such a profound impact on my business. And so when you make a real change in somebody's life or business, that's so pronounced that they just feel like they have to tell their friends and family so that their friends and family can rise with them. I think that happens as well. And so, yeah, those are two examples, you know, something changes in your physical environment or something changes so much in your personal life or business that you just have to tell people about it. Now we're going to go back to these, once again, really some very well-known, you work with some professional athletes who have written books or former professional athletes and people have been in different areas. And and we talked about this ahead of time. There's still a person like me and you, but they have had extraordinary success by becoming a professional athlete, being successful through that. But they still have the same challenges, right? Of getting a book, getting released and getting to be known. So when you're working with somebody, let's say who's more well-known, how do you help capitalize for them, right? That opportunity to get more people to read the book or to be more aware. Well, it definitely helps if somebody comes to the table with a large following, being able to tap into that person's following to sell books to their existing audience is useful, but having an audience is also useful when getting in front of other audiences. And so if I am pitching authors to be on a podcast like yours, who would you rather take? The one that can repost the episode to hundreds of thousands or millions of people, or the one that can repost to 10 or 20 people, right? Because they don't have much of a following. And so I think celebrities, athletes, people with an existing following, it's a little bit easier to get out there and do media to sell books to your existing audience. You know, it it definitely helps itself a little bit. And, you know, it's not to say that if you don't have that audience, you can't sell a lot of books or, or get on these important media channels, but it definitely makes it a little, uh, you know, a little bit easier. Okay. So now we'll talk about the everyday everybody else, right? There are, as you know, there's a tremendous amount of what I call, we have them all the time, this, this podcast, right? Successful entrepreneurs that have figured out some code, some opportunity, some way right? And they want to share their experience towards others to help them become more successful. But the reality is they're not known. 
right? You know, they, they, they might even have a decent circle, but they weren't a professional athlete playing on Sundays, right? Where, where because they were part of affiliated with the team, people knew who they were and they want to read their book just because they love that team. So how do you help them out, right? That the, 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 the successful entrepreneurs who aren't broadly known to help them start to become known. So their book can start selling, if you may, and be more popular of those who are, who are getting connected with it. Well, it reminds me of me starting on social media. I started with zero followers and I had no credibility outside of the platforms to leverage. And I leveraged the book that's over your right shoulder, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Small steps in the right direction over a long, long, long period of time can lead to disproportionately positive outcomes. And so there are a number of strategies that you can implement leveraging social media that when implemented over a long period of time can lead to a, a big following and you can create that audience. So here's an example. Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, has a strategy called the $1.80 strategy where he says you should go onto these platforms. We'll use Instagram as an example. And you should search a hashtag related to your niche. And so for you, Carl, you might do something like, you might search one of the books behind you, hashtag good to great. What's going to happen is Instagram's going to pop up a few different categories related to good to great. One of them will be trending content. And what you do is you go leave your two cents on the top nine posts there. So your two cents is just a saying for genuine feedback, genuine thoughts. Type out a sentence or two. If somebody posted about good to great and it was one of their favorite takeaways, respond to it. Be the longest comment in that trending comment section so that it sits at the top and that other people interact with it. And if you do that for 10 hashtags a day, the top nine posts on each hashtag, you leave your two cents. If you multiply that out, it's $1.80. So that's how you get the strategy. And a couple of things happen when you implement this strategy. Number one, you're consuming 90 pieces of trending content per day. So naturally, you're going to start to understand what's working in your space related to the book that you're selling, the content that you're looking to distribute. And you can start to steal like an artist, as Austin Cleon would say. You can put out content that's very similar to what you know is working. Number two, when people receive these comments, they're going to check out your profile because it's the first time you're in their comment section. Everybody's insecure about their comment section and checks out who's commenting, unless there's like a thousand comments. And it'll be thoughtful. It's a couple sentences long. So it's different than just like fire, fire emoji or something like that. And so those people, if you're providing value and they check out your profile, they're going to follow you. And the other thing that happens is that because this is trending content, a lot of other people are going to be in that comment section looking at your comment because it's going to rank at the top. It's the only thoughtful one there. And that's a strategy that anybody can use with any amount of followers. And yes, birds of a feather flock together. The more followers you have, the more likely the next one will be to follow you. But you can start at zero and you can build a community of people online every single day, just like I did, and go from zero to a thousand followers, 1,000 to 10,000, 10 to 25, 25 to 50, 100, and then sky's the limit. And that's the strategy that I use to go from completely unknown to being able to work with and interact with a lot of these superstar people. So that's, I hope that was useful, Carl. That was a little bit of a long explanation, but it's one of my favorite strategies. That's fantastic because it's interesting. I, I've been using the talking about the jab, jab, right hook 
concept, yeah. right? You know, that Vayner has as well. And the concept, of course, around that is give, 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 give. And then once you've provided and give so much, then you do that right hook, so to speak, right, of giving an offer that they can't refuse, right? Because they, they, they have, they've gained trust in you, they know who you are. And now it's like, okay, now, now I'm willing, right, to talk with this person to gain more value to, to take it to the next level. And I, no, I, I actually had not specifically heard that dollar eighty, you know, and perhaps it was in there, but I didn't, I didn't remember it specifically. And I also loved it how you mentioned one of Brian Tracy's quotes, right? You know, of of just he he's been one of those huge personal development individuals. That one one of my favorite books, of course, is No Excuses, right? Of you know why that like example, right? Of that dollar eighty strategy. How much time does it take you to do that? And why aren't you doing it, right? It kind of comes down to it because it's it's just, it's free by definition. It costs you time, right? But it's free to do it. Yeah, and you're already consuming social content. This is just a, a more a more intentional way of consuming content because you're still consuming content, but instead of mindlessly scrolling, you're only consuming what's relevant to you. And yeah, Brian Tracy's amazing. We had him on our podcast when he launched Eat That Frog for Students. And to be able to talk to such a legend and have a long form conversation with him, it was quite the experience. I'm a really big fan of his as well. So what has surprised you the most working in this industry? That's a good question. What has surprised me the most? Well, a couple of things. The first thing that comes to mind is that as humans, we often think our experiences going through life are very unique, but we forget that 10 or 11 billion people have lived before us. And many of them have faced the same problems that we're facing, maybe just a different technology or a different social issue, a different set of insecurities. But at the core of what we all deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of people have literally dealt with the same issues. And a lot of them have written books about how they navigated those problems. And so Carl, you were telling me before that you have 25 years of experience condensed into an eight hour workshop. I call that condensing decades into a day. And books do the same thing. They condense decades of other people's lived experience into a day of application. And so the way that I kind of tie this back to reading books is that if you're facing a problem in your life, stop, think about it, research the problem a little bit. There's probably a good book out there that can help you solve that problem for $20, $25 in a day's worth of your time or much less in most cases. You can solve that problem or at least get the perspective of somebody who has successfully solved it. And that kind of ties into this saying that like experience, like your own lived experience is very valuable, but it can be painful. And so you can shortcut that by understanding other people's experience. It's such a great teacher when you see that this person running this type of business went through that same problem and here's how they successfully navigated it after eight failed attempts. You might be able to avoid those eight failed attempts by reading about that and implementing it the way that they did. And so I think that that's the thing is that there's a book to solve every problem, whether it's related to your health, whether it's related to your business, whether it's related to relationships, whether it's related to your mindset and happiness and fulfillment and purpose, like 
there are thousands of books on every one of those subjects or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And so you can read them and you can implement them. And I just like, it's so clear to me that you can solve these problems in your life by reading these books. And that was shocking to me because I, you know, just like you, I wasn't much of a reader growing up and I was really turned off by the traditional education system telling me what to read and what to think about what I was reading. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then telling you your thoughts are wrong, right? <laughs> yes. No, exactly. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, no. Really, your interpretation of that is all wrong. It's like, oh, okay. Now, you know, but you know, sometimes it's true, right? Sometimes we do interpret the, the some information not correctly. Now, I'm curious about this part of, once again, you, you go through so many books. How many times do you read a book again? Well, 80% of the books that I read, I read one time. But again, I read professionally, so I'm not always choosing the books that I'm reading. But about 20% of them I'll read multiple times. And then a very small percentage of that, maybe 20% of those I'll read many times. So books, you know, the book that started my journey was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Kiyosaki. I've read that book 10 plus times. The Compound Effect, which we've talked about that I see behind you, I've read that book 10 times. Extreme Ownership Above Your Head, I've read that book at least a couple of times. The Power of One More, I just read, so it's very relevant to me right now. I see the Four Disciplines of Execution. I think I only read that one time. So, but anyway, to answer your question, yeah, I think the What's cool about these books too is there's something called the Matthew effect. In the Gospel of Matthew, I think chapter 25, there's some conversation around like the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And that happens with knowledge as well. Like the smarter get smarter and the dumber get dumber because the more you read, the larger foundation you build to, to apply what you're reading to. And so many times I'll go back to a book with a completely new lens on and see something for the first time, even if it's my 10th read from a completely different perspective and be able to apply it in a new way that creates change. And so, yeah, I think it's super valuable to read books multiple times. No, I, I, no, I, I agree with you. I think there, when you find the right ones, because sometimes I find when I'm reading, once again, listening, is that you're in a certain state in your life and you're only hearing and, and absorbing something at one period of time, but you can go back to it at a different period. And because of whether your maturity or where you are, you're like, wow, I didn't even pick that up the first time. And because you couldn't see it, right. You literally couldn't absorb or hear the particular story. And, and so there are those books where, which are like, you know, once again, I think agree with the compound effect where it's like, there's such core principles in there it's like, oh, I could apply this again, right? You know, or, or think about it in a different way based on the new problem that I'm trying to have. And so I agree with you. I think there, there are things like that that make a lot of sense. When, when it comes to your business today and you've built up, which is, it's, I think it's really cool how you built up and doing something you love, right? Which is, which is learning and reading about books. And, and I'm with you, by the way, I, I think the value of books, everything has their place from our podcasts that we're doing to blogs that people do, but the value of a book is it's been a curated event. It might not be the newest information, but it's a curated event from somebody's recent experiences up to 25, 50, some historical context that's put into this one condensed form. And it's hard work, right? It's hard work to put a book together. And, and that's part of the reasons I like them so much because they're so curated, right? It's, it's taken so much effort to get to that final part. 
But as you look at your business and, and what you've done, how are you measuring success in it and with your clients? It's a good question. I, when, when book thinkers, you know, for the last couple of years, success was measured by books sold. Now that we're more of a digital media company, it's impressions, followers, views, like we're focusing more on books being a lead mechanism for a complimentary product or service like the one that that you're going to be offering alongside your book. So sometimes the KPIs that we're measuring are related to courses sold or speeches booked. So I think it's a little unique for each person that we work with. I love the idea of leveraging a book as a business card. I heard somebody recently say that books are business cards that don't get thrown away. Nobody throws away a book that they get in the mail. And so it sits on the desk until somebody goes, aha, you know what I need? I need somebody to come in and do business strategy. Oh, wait, I think there's that book that I got in the mail. Okay, here we go. 40 strategy. I need to hit these guys up. That process, I think, is very useful to have related to your book. And anyway, books as business cards, as lead mechanisms, that's kind of the business that we're in. And then as a result, the KPIs that we're measuring are kind of unique for each client. I loved it how you talk about, you were mentioning the difference between leading and lagging indicators, right? The lagging is the outcome, but you've turned more towards the marketing side, which is leading to get them to there, right? And and making sure they're not just vanity metrics, right? But they're actually metrics that are valuable, that are creating value that people go, oh no, I actually need to move this forward. I need to, the impression turns into a lead, that lead turns into an opportunity, the opportunity turns into a sale, right? You know, when you, when you move through the whole process. All right, so you have shown an example right there of you have a, this big jug of water that you do, this gallon of water that you, you walk around with of a habit that you do that's helped you to do incredible performance. What other habits have you developed consistently to help make sure you're doing your best? Oh, great question. I have a thousand of them. So we could spend the next five hours talking about all of the biohacking and everything related to what I do. So every morning I go for a one hour walk with my dog, right when I wake up out in the woods, there are a couple of benefits to doing that. Number one, I don't think we get enough time in solitude to think about thinking, to think about our business, to think about our lives. So often we're caught in the whirlwind, the day-to-day chaos. And so that's a very important part of my routine. And I also get to breathe fresh air. I get the exercise endorphins kicking. I get a little bit of sunlight in my eyes to set my circadian rhythm before I consume any caffeine, bunch of benefits. Then I come back and then I go right to the gym and I actually do a a weightlifting workout. I really get the exercise endorphins kicking. Maybe I'll consume a little bit of caffeine then. After the gym, I have a sauna at my house. So I love to finish out the gym with a sauna. That's only done done a few days per week. And then in the sauna, I'll be able to read a little bit. Uh, From there, shower change and the workday starts. I love if I can to add in a meditation, a little bit of additional reading, maybe some journaling, I phase in and out of journaling. And uh, I also fast. So I don't eat until about 12 every day. So that, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but those are some of the things that I, I do every single day or at least five or six days a week right there that all contribute to an amazing performance throughout the workday. I love it. And I love how you've developed those consistencies. How long 
did it take you to get consistent? You know, so you, you talk about the walking your dog as an example, but you have a, several other things there. You, you have to make a real commitment not to start work, right? You have to wake up at a certain time now. So what's your typical get up in the day type thing? Are you, are you or do you, do you change that based on how many hours you're sleeping the night before? It's, it's very consistently 5.55 a.m. or 6 a.m. So that gives me enough time to get that long morning routine done before the workday kicks off. So it typically takes a few hours of my time. But by the time I sit down and start working at 9.30 or 10 a.m., you know, I have a little bit of flexibility there. By the time I start working at 9.30 or 10 a.m., I've completed a couple of workouts. I've got all these other things checked off and I'm in the right mental state. So 6 a.m. And yeah, sleep's incredibly important for me as well. I wear an aura ring, which is a sleep tracker. I have an eight sleep mattress, which is a cooling technology throughout the night type thing to optimize your sleep. So I'm all about it. How long did it take me to get into these routines? I've been slowly, I've been slowly adapting and modifying my morning routine since I started these books in, in 2016. And so however long that's been, like nine years now, seven years, eight years, whatever it has been, uh, I've just, I've always had some variation of what I just mentioned going on. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is more than more well thought out routines. And I love it how you've taken, once again, continuously taking the books and learning to help apply them. Because once again, they don't matter, right? If we don't apply it and do it. So Let's get the personal side. What are the things, you know, how has, obviously these books have impacted your personal life based on, can you tell when you do and don't do, do things? So oh, let's yeah. say, for example, you, you don't do something for a week. Can you tell your performance starts waning? Oh yeah. 1000%. So I'm, I'm on day 68 right now of a program called 75 hard. Are you familiar with it? I, I actually know, yes, I know somebody else is doing it right now. Matter of oh, fact, Tanya, who is listening hopefully right now, she she's told me about it. She loves it. Yeah, I 75 Hard is an amazing program for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can't consume any alcohol while you're on it. And so alcohol is such a great example of, of me being able to feel when I don't get my routines done. Because when I'm not on 75 hard, I like on a Friday or Saturday night to go out and have a couple of drinks with my friends or my fiance. I do a lot of traveling internationally and I love spending a night out in a new city and talking to people and having a few drinks, whatever. But the issue with that is that my sleep, I go to sleep later. My sleep quality is less. So I sleep in, I'm sluggish. I miss my routines and I don't have as much focus the next day. Those are just a couple of examples on how alcohol can negatively impact my routine. But but then it's so crystal clear to me the difference in energy that I feel 4 or 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Like right now I'm in perfect 68-day, two workouts a day dieting shape, you know, which which has compounded into a great level of focus. I mean, right now it's 3:45 p.m. for me. I feel like I could go for 10 more hours. I have a limitless energy. But when I'm not going through these routines and optimizing everything, I could crash at 3 p.m. You know, I remember being there just a couple of years ago before all of this stuff was in place. I mean, as I've aged over the last 
five years or so, my energy has gotten so much better, which is funny to think about. Yeah, that's not as common, right? Often we think about, oh, we're going to get more tired, right? You know, as, as we get a bit older and, and, uh, but no, you've done the opposite, right? You help create these strategies. I've heard someone say beforehand, you know, when you, you drink, you are borrowing today for tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's I a so good too. example. And it's not, once again, necessarily, and you know, it, there are times and I'm not judging, right? You know, when people do or don't, but there's there's cost to everything, right? You know, there's an impact when we make these decisions and the different things we have to think about as we go through that process, for sure. So the, okay, so now we'll go to the personal side, you know, once again, as we continue this personal journey, how are you now measuring success in your personal life? I was asked the question recently, how do you define happiness? How do you define success? Like what's your life purpose? And I saw a video on Instagram of a guy answering this question. And he said, here's his definition, enjoying the passage of time. And I was also listening. So relating that line, enjoying the passage of time. I also saw Tim Ferriss interviewed James Clear for his podcast recently. And James said at the top of every year, he asks himself a couple of questions to measure success. One of them was, what am I optimizing for? And so when you ask that question, Carl, I think of what am I optimizing for? I'm optimizing for enjoying the passage of time. I just want to enjoy the present moment, like have a positive impact on the people around me, be happy, live without bad stress. And that's what I feel like I'm optimizing for. You know, I've put some constraints on my business that would probably limit growth, but enable me to enjoy my time a little bit more. One example is I run a, an entirely remote team. We have five or six people on the team. Everybody's entirely remote. Everybody can work from wherever they want to. And I went to 10 countries last year. I worked from 10 different countries. And that's so important to me. Like that's enjoying the passage of time for me. And yeah, I've just... That's how, that's, that's what my gut tells me when you ask the question, that's how I've got to answer it. I think it's a great answer and, and you're doing and living things that, that people dream about, right? You're actually living it. It's, I literally was talking with somebody else who's going to be a future podcast guest and he's getting ready to move to Spain. Like, no, so he's been doing this traveling so much. He's going to move there. It's going to be an extended visa. He's still, he's a U.S. citizen, but he's like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to move there because I can. And this is the beauty of Zoom, right? You know, and, and, and telecommunications that we always had, but now everyone knows how to use it. You know, I should say always had, it's been, it's been good technology for 10 years, but now everyone else knows how to use it. I remember the old days, like when you're like, turn your camera on, <laughs> like this process for a long period of time to argue oh, with some, know, no, no, yeah. really it's that button. And, and that doesn't happen as much anymore, right? You know, people typically know and they communicate and, and now you have that freedom, you said to, to travel around, see, see different parts of the world experience. And, and I think you said something else that's really interesting is being present. You know, it's fascinating in my world of strategic planning by definition, we're thinking about the future, right? We're thinking about what actions we need to do today to get to the outcomes of where we are in the future. But the problem is sometimes you live in the future so much, you forget about being present. And, and you have to continue to be, be present in that process. Otherwise, I'd make an argument, your plan failed, right? If you, if you had to kill yourself to get to an out, figuratively, right? To get to an outcome, did it really matter? Right. And, and we have to find ways to be present, to have some calmness, 
and I'm, I'm actually preaching to the choir, which is myself saying, I, I got to do this myself too, as I have a growing business as well. You know, it's like, how do you, as entrepreneurs, how do you do the right things to be present? And, and when you go home or whatever you're doing, where, however, however you're working to, so people are being connected and they're hearing you and listening to you and want to be a part of your lives as well. And so I think it's a, I think it's great input, right? Great concepts. Now, this is the toughest question for you because you, this, all you do is books and uh, not all, of course. But we always like to ask the question, you know, what book, and you've mentioned a ton of them in this podcast, but what's, what's maybe perhaps, maybe I'll throw this one out. What's perhaps a book that's a little bit more obscure, maybe not sitting behind me right now, that has really impacted your life, that you're like, you have to share with the audience because like this book has, has surprised me. It's not the most popular book, but you've got to read it. One of my all-time favorite books is called Vagabonding. It's by an author, Rolf Potts. And that's sort of an obscure book for most people. The subtitle is something like The Art of Long-Term World Travel. And prior to reading that book, I viewed world travel as something that was reserved for the rich, for people who were retired. I didn't think I could afford it both from a time and a financial perspective. And that book flipped that narrative on its head for me. And the reason that I bring it up is because traveling internationally, especially to a country where you don't speak the language and especially a lesser developed country can be such a great personal development experience. I've learned so much. I've embraced so much discomfort traveling that I recommend it to everybody. And so if you're, in, if you're listening today and you're interested in traveling, but you're held back by one of those limiting beliefs that it's reserved for the rich, that you can't afford it, that you don't know how to take the time off, read Vagabonding by Rolf Potts and you'll make it happen. And I'll throw one other book out there, which is a book that I just read. It was called How to Die Happy by author Martin O'Toole. And in that book, he has some pretty scary statistics. One of them is that every minute that passes about 120 some odd people die on planet earth every minute. And mortality is a subject that is often pushed to the corners of society. We reserve it for nursing homes and hospitals, and we don't want to think about it, but all of us are going to die at some point. And the beautiful part about realizing that life is so finite is that you can start to prioritize your time and stop wasting so much of it. And there's a line from Seneca where he says something like, it's not that life is so short, but that we make it so. We make it so by wasting all of our time on things that are meaningless, only coming to regret that we didn't take more action when it's too late. And so that's another one for everybody that's a little bit different than the travel recommendation, How to Die Happy by Martin O'Toole. I was just reading a wonderful person that I know that's near the end of their days. And they literally just said that comment of, I, they said the comment, I wish I traveled more. And, and sometimes we have this belief, just like you said, you have to wait to a certain period of time, but what people miss is there's no guarantee at the end of that moment or retirement. It's like, why not live now? Why wait 35, 40 years to experience when perhaps you should be experiencing when you can fully mobile 
right? When yes. you can have these opportunities, when you can experience, when you do are, are still okay with going out at night, you know, to a, a really fun bar, right? In a city in progress or like that, right? Where you're like, wow, what an amazing experience, you know, that you might not actually even appreciate, you know, later in life and, and why not experience it now? So I, I think that's, those are really good to connected books actually that you mentioned there of, of thinking about, you know, what to do and why to do it. And, and so you, you minimize your regrets at the end of our life. Yeah. I think that's yes. so important. Absolutely. So how can, yeah. So how could people connect with you and learn more about what you do? The best place still today is book thinkers on Instagram. So if you just search book thinkers, you'll find us there. It's it's where our biggest community is. And if you have any questions related to book recommendations, feel free to reach out there via Instagram DM and we'll be sure to answer. We do have a fully functioning website, bookthinkers.com. But we just, you know, if you want the livelihood, the action, you go over to Instagram. That's where we're at. And we also have the podcast, as you mentioned earlier, Carl. So Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books. Each episode is with a world-class nonfiction author or business person. And uh, we do a deep dive on their books for every episode. That's fantastic. Nick, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. And to everyone else who's listening, I really hope you go out, learn more, go on to Book Thinkers, once again, whether Instagram, website, learn more about what they're doing, listen to his podcasts, great insight. As you can tell, he has great knowledge and wisdom that he gained, right, from continuously learning and reading. And I think that's the lesson here that we should all take. And then the opportunities has helped provided him in your life, you're living and walking, right, your experiences have gone through, which I think is, is absolutely fantastic. And to all of our listeners, once again, we super appreciate you listening to our podcast. We appreciate your reviews that you provide to us that helps us continue to grow and bring on great guests like Nick that we have today. So as we always say, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.